0: I want to answer three questions in my homily this morning. Number one, what is the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception? Number two, where does it come from? Why do we believe it? And number three, why does it matter? The first question is easy to answer. Blessed Pope Pius IX gave us a formal definition of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception in 1854. He proclaimed, we declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instant of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin, is a doctrine revealed by God and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly. By all the faithful. In other words, Catholics are obliged to believe, as a matter of faith, that Mary was preserved by God's grace from original sin from the first moment of her conception. And note how careful Pius IX is here in his definition to point out that Mary's preservation from sin is an act of God done through the merits of Jesus Christ. Sometimes Protestants will object to this particular Catholic doctrine by claiming that this means Mary didn't need a Savior, and that would go against the teaching that Jesus is the universal Savior of all mankind. So let's be clear about this point. We believe 100% that Mary was saved by the sacrifice of her Son on the cross, just like us. But the grace of salvation won by Christ was applied to Mary in advance from the moment of her conception. In other words, Mary was saved by Jesus, but she was saved before she fell. Sometimes you hear the analogy of a man falling into a pit. If you fall into a pit, and then I come along with a rope, and I lift you out of it, I haul you up, you can say that I saved you from the pit but if you're walking along and I see that you're about to fall into the pit, and so I grab you by the collar and I yank you back from the edge, well, you never fell, but you would still say that I saved you from the pit. You can think of Mary being saved by Jesus in the same way. She was saved before she fell, but she was saved by Christ nonetheless. So now to the second question. Why do we believe this? Why should we believe that Mary was preserved from original sin from her conception? Where does this idea come from? The Pope didn't dream it up in 1854. It's an ancient Christian belief. Its biblical origin is contained in the gospel passage that that we just read of the Annunciation. But it's easy to miss in translation. When Gabriel greets Mary with these words, hail full of grace, notice Mary says, what, what sort of greeting is this? She's curious. What sort of greeting might this be? When Gabriel says hail full of grace, that Greek word that Luke uses in the gospel is kekheritomene. And this is a really unusual word. It may even be a unique word. It's not found anywhere else in the scripture and we can't find it used anywhere else in Greek literature Either. So it may be unique. What it is, it's the feminine, present, perfect, passive voice participle of the verb caritu, which means to endow with grace. And in the New Testament, that word is always used to signify sanctifying grace. It's the feminine, present, perfect, passive voice participle. I have notes so I can get that right. Of the verb keratu. Now, if you didn't follow all that, that's fine. It just means you're not a linguist. But what this really kind of unusual grammatical rendering of this Greek word, what it, what it suggests, what it signifies, is that Mary has been endowed with sanctifying grace, but she's been perfectly endowed with sanctifying grace. And this perfection extends in the past. She has been has been perfectly endowed with sanctifying grace from the very first moment of her life. It's a unique title given to a unique woman. It's that word that St. Jerome translates in Latin as gratia plena, and that's where we get the English full of grace. But neither the Latin nor the English really convey the deep significance of that word in Greek that the Holy Spirit inspired St. Luke to use. And lest we believe that this is just some late interpretation that Catholic apologists have dreamed up, built around some obscure word, the ancient church fathers were unanimous in expressing their belief in the sinlessness of Mary. St. Augustine wrote about it, St. Ephraim wrote about it, St. Irenaeus wrote about it, Tertullian wrote about it. All the ancient church fathers wrote about Mary as being sinless. And Christian writing going all the way back to the first century, the first century, some of the earliest Christian writing that we have outside of the Bible, when they talk about the nativity of Christ, they always remark that Mary had no pain in childbirth. Now, this is not a formal teaching of the church. Maybe Mary had pain in childbirth. Maybe she didn't have pain in childbirth. The church hasn't issued a formal decree on that question. But we can ask, why did all the ancient writers just assume, take it for granted, that Mary would not have experienced pain in childbirth? And it's because pain in childbirth is mentioned in Genesis as a consequence of original sin. And it was universally accepted in the Christian community at the time that Mary was free of original sin, and therefore she would be free from its consequences. And so they assumed, well, she must not have had pain in childbirth. And this goes hand in hand with the way that these same church fathers speak about Mary as the new Eve, just as Christ is the new Adam. St. Paul says that just as through the old Adam all die, it's through the new Adam, Jesus Christ, that all shall live. Death came to Adam when he ate the fruit offered by Eve, and life comes to us when we eat the fruit that's offered by Mary. Mary is the fulfillment of that prophecy that we heard this morning in Genesis, which is considered the first announcement of the gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, God says to the serpent, between your offspring and hers. Mary is that woman, and her offspring is the one to definitively crush the head of Satan. Eve is called the mother of all the living, but that title is fulfilled in the new Eve. In Mary, who has become the mother of the resurrection, the mother of the new creation, the mother of all of those who are alive in Christ. And just as Adam and Eve were made without sin, it's only fitting that both Christ and his mother, the new Adam and the new Eve, also be sinless as well. It's fitting. It's fitting, I say. Sometimes you might hear Catholics try and defend the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception by saying that, well, Christ needed to have a sinless mother to take his sinless human flesh from. And that's not what the Church teaches, for the simple reason that God doesn't have to do anything. God is perfectly free in everything that he does. There's no outside force acting upon God that could require anything of him. Everything God does, he does because he chooses to. So we shouldn't speak of Mary as needing to be sinless in order for the incarnation to happen through her. God could have become incarnate in a sinful woman. He could have become incarnate without any mother at all. Jesus could have just appeared out of nowhere as a fully grown man. God can do anything he wants. But that's not what God chose to do. God chose to be born of a woman. This woman, Mary. And he chose to make her free of sin from the moment of her conception. And this is why it's better to speak of fittingness rather than necessity. God found it fitting to make his own mother immaculate, even if he didn't have to. And this gets us to our last question. Why does this matter to us? And here I want to make a comparison with the Eucharist. The church requires that in, in, in our liturgical laws that the precious blood should only be held in chalices that are lined with precious metal, like gold. Why? Is that necessary? No, it's not necessary. Father can say the words of consecration over a wine that's been poured into a coffee mug, and as long as he had the proper intention, that would be the blood of Christ. The gold chalice isn't necessary, but It's fitting because it expresses in a more profound way our belief in the real presence, that Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, is really present there in the Eucharist. And because we believe that this is truly the blood of Christ that was shed for our salvation, we don't treat it like ordinary drink. We don't serve it in a wine glass or in a coffee mug. We use gold chalices instead because we treat sacred things differently. And that's not for God's sake. It's not for God. It's for us. Remember, God doesn't need our praise. We need to praise Him. God doesn't need our our reverence, but we need to be reverent toward Him. Why? Because our reverence expresses the reality of who God is and who we are before God. And it reinforces our belief in the truths of our faith. And the same thing, I believe, is true about Mary. Christ didn't need a sinless mother. But it was fitting that he had one. It was fitting that the flesh that contained his flesh be immaculate. Just as it is fitting that our souls be free of mortal sin before we receive his flesh into our flesh in the Eucharist. And we uphold this belief in the Immaculate Conception and we practice devotion to Mary because it teaches us to hold her son in greater reverence. Mary also shows us what we were made to be. She is the model for us of what a human person looks like who is completely filled with the life of God, whose every action and every thought is an extension of her fiat, her let it be done to me according to your word. This is also our hope and our calling to be entirely accepting of the will of God in our lives. Everyone is immaculate in heaven. There will be no resistance to God's grace in our hearts in the world to come. Mary had that complete openness to God's will in her life on earth, and that's why she's regarded as the greatest Christian, the mother and the model of the church, And that's why we continue to implore her help by addressing her with the words of Saint Gabriel, hail full of grace, and asking her to pray for us during the times when we need her help the most, which is to say, right now and at the hour of our death. Mary conceived without sin, pray for us.